You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. So we've been in a series going through the book of John, right? Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The first week, so two weeks ago, we started with John 1, and we literally talked about five verses, verses 1 through 5. And we learned about this thing, the word, this word logos in the Greek. We talked about how Jesus was in the beginning, how he's always been, how all things were made through Jesus and how Jesus is the life and the light in this dark, dark world. And last week, we looked at verses uh, six through 18 and we talked about how John the Baptist came and he focused people on that light of Jesus, right? And he was making a way for him. And then if we receive the light of Jesus, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we can become children of God, be welcomed into this family. And we also talked about how Jesus, as we read throughout the gospel of John and the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he became flesh, meaning a person like you and me, and dwelt among us. He is God, he was God, he will always be God, and he took on this human form and lived a perfect life and died for you and I. Tonight, we are gonna be finishing up the first chapter of John. And I'm gonna go ahead and let you guys know now, we got a good bit of verses to go through. We're going through verses 19 through verse 51. For some of you guys, that's more reading than you've done all year, and it's insane. But it's gonna be awesome, so I'm gonna need you guys to pay attention, listen closely, because we are going to work through all this, all right? So, point number one, and then we'll start reading scripture, is prepare the way. And I'm gonna read John 1, verses 19 through 28, and we're gonna start. Now, This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This this all happened at Bethany on the side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So we talked about this last week. We're talking about it more this week. We talked a lot about John the Baptist, right? We talked about how he is the person who is preparing the way for Jesus. And what does that mean to prepare the way? Well, let's look at the verse where it happens again. Verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And you see on the screen, Do y'all see that superscript right there? It's got the little brackets. It's the letter D, it's in red. Do y'all see that? So part of this series, one of our goals was we wanna go through the gospel, the the good news of Jesus, but also we wanna show you guys practically how to read the Bible. 
Like, how can I understand it and learn about it? And a lot of times when you read your Bible, you're gonna see little letters like that. They're called superscripts or subscripts. If it's a little higher than the letter, it's a superscript. If it's the same level or a little bit below, it's a subscript. But what those things do is if you look at the bottom of your Bible, you're gonna see a lot of really, really little letters. And you're probably gonna have to squint to be able to see them good. But those letters point to different verses and chapters and books in the Bible that maybe we see that this phrase or, or this quotation, make straight the way for the Lord, appears somewhere else. And when we follow this in our Bible, we see that it takes us to Isaiah chapter 40, verses three through five. And it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. There you go. So make straight a highway for the Lord our God. We see John said this as well. And what does all this tell us? It tells us that John was told about hundreds of years before he would come in the same way that Jesus was told about hundreds of years before he would come. And so in learning how to read our Bible, we can see that the plan of God has been in action for all eternity. It's been in action from the beginning of time to the end of time. He's in control of all of that. And what does it mean to prepare the way? Well, you see, we talked about how we have this dark world, right? Raise your hand if we live in a dark world. Raise your hand if you've messed up before. Raise your hand if you have some friends who messed up that might be sitting beside you. And raise two hands if you're like, bro, you need to see this right now. I'm raising two hands, you done messed up. Yes, everybody, right? We live in a dark and a broken world. And when John is saying that he is preparing the way, he is saying, hey, y'all, the king is coming. The king is here. His name is Jesus. And yes, we live in a dark and a broken world, but there is light and there is life found in him. So do me a favor and pay attention to him. Look at him, meet him. This is literally God in the form of you and I. Like how crazy is that? Obviously, we live in a time after Jesus and as Christians, we know that when we ask Jesus into our heart, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? So we are able, we have Emmanuel, God with us. We can talk to God 24 seven. Never is too busy for us, right? Even for the little things. How crazy would it be for you and I to be sitting down and Jesus is sitting with us. Like how crazy is that? That is what John is saying. Life is literally sitting next to you. He is in your presence. Y'all don't miss this. And when we learn to read our Bibles a little bit, we see that there's this superscript. It points us back and says it was God's plan for hundreds and hundreds of years for this life to live with people. And so I know we've talked about John the Baptist a lot over these last few weeks, but I want you guys to get it. He was preparing the way for the greatest story to ever be told, the story of Jesus, the greatest man to ever live, the person of Jesus. And so we've talked about it for three weeks, but it deserves three weeks because that's how important it is, okay? So John the Baptist was preparing the way. 
And point number two is this, fulfillment both now and forever. Do y'all know what the word fulfillment means? Raise your hand if y'all understand what I'm saying, fulfillment. Some of y'all do, some of y'all don't. Okay, I'll give you guys a good example. Your grandma promises you that if you make all A's all year, she's gonna give you $100. Who's cool with that promise? Who's like, there is no way on God's green earth that I got that in me? A few of you guys, right? I get it, I get it. So let's say you make it to the end of the school year, you have all A's and grandma doesn't cough up the cash. How y'all gonna be feeling? You're gonna be a little twisted, right? Exactly. So we can say that grandma made a promise and that promise was not fulfilled. If grandma made the promise and then gave you that nice crispy Benjamin with the blue line down the middle, the promise was fulfilled, right? And then you take it and you get whatever you do and the person like checks it out to make sure it's good and it works, right? That promise was fulfilled. That's what this word fulfillment means, okay? So we have fulfillment both now and forever. Let's read John 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because when he was before me, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing was with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. There's a lot of stuff going on in this passage. Maybe a little confusing. I wanna break it down for you guys, okay? So there's a couple of things we need to see. The first thing is in the first couple of verses, verses 32 through 34. At the end it says, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water. Do you guys know who the person who sent John to baptize is? Who is it? God, right? So God who sent John made this plan for John to baptize. He said, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So basically God told John, this baptism is gonna be crazy, right? There's gonna be this whole crazy thing where the spirit descends on him. If you look in the other gospels, you're gonna see a picture of this. It is an insane story, okay? So I encourage you guys to read these other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to be able to get the full picture of what the baptism of Jesus looked like, okay? So now, the next thing we need to think about, what does the baptism of Jesus actually mean? What, can you guys, somebody raise their hand and tell me what does baptism mean for us? Right here. Dunk somebody in the water, okay, and what's the, the significance of it? What's the symbolism behind it? Yes. Not wash your sins away, um, yes. Not made clean, let's see, let's see, right here. Yeah, so basically what it's like is, obviously when we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. 
There is nothing, nothing, nothing that can take that away. It is the work of God in our heart. It is by his grace, meaning something, we did something wrong, we deserved punishment. Not only did we not get punishment, but we were given something better in return. And that was freedom from sin and from guilt through Jesus. And this opportunity, this promise, that even after death, our souls will be with God in community for all eternity. And what is baptism? Well, baptism is this command from God. And there's nothing special about the water. There's nothing special about, you know, it doesn't have to be holy water. It doesn't have to be mixed with, you know, anointing oil. Like it doesn't, none of that stuff. What it is, it's this, this symbolic thing of when you go into the water, you're saying, I identify with Jesus's death, that he died for me, he died for my sins, and you know what? I'm going to leave the old person that he died for behind, and when I come out of this water, this is the new person, the new creation that I am because of what Jesus has done. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is the public declaration that I am choosing to accept and identify with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? So that's what baptism means for us. But Jesus wasn't around in the Old Testament though, was he? No, and John was baptizing people. And Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus was living, but he hadn't died yet. You guys see where this is getting a little confusing? Yeah, so back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean like a couple thousand years ago, Baptism was something along the lines of like ceremonial cleaning and washing. And what it was, was for the Jewish people, it was this opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I have messed up, I've sinned, I've missed the mark. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. If you ain't raising your hand, you're in trouble. Everybody has sinned, I have missed the mark. And I am going to choose to repent and what does repent mean? Repent means you're going one direction. I am choosing that I'm gonna look at things I don't need to look at. Oh, that's a bad idea. Repenting is turning and going in the right direction. I'm going to let my mind see things that are good and pleasing and upright. Understood? That is to repent. So, back in the day, Jewish people, they would get baptized because they're saying, hey, you know what, I've really messed up and I need to confess these sins, and I need to repent, and I need to turn. So it's like you're turning over a new leaf, okay? Nothing, that is kind of what baptism was. And John was baptizing people, right? And for Jesus, Jesus never sinned, right? He was God's son, he never messed up, he lived a perfect life, he didn't need to repent of anything, right? So why would Jesus want John to baptize him? You see where this gets a little confusing? Kind of, sort of? Well, Jesus wanted John to baptize him. In short, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What does all that mean? That Jesus was saying, I need to be and identify with all the things that humanity goes through that humanity walks through. And so for Jewish people, they would be baptized often to submit, to humble themselves and realize they've messed up. 
And what is Jesus doing when he becomes a person? He's humbling himself and he is identifying with us a fallen creation. And that was the importance of it. Matthew 3.15 says, Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. In order for there to be right standing with God, we needed Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. He came to this earth, he walked, he lived, and he was baptized to say, you know what, you humans, I am identifying with you. Even though I am God, I am going to live as you live, okay? So that's the importance of Jesus's baptism. So point number two is that there's fulfillment both now and forever, and what does that mean? It means that Jesus fulfilled all the promises that were made of him from the beginning of time. We see the first one in Genesis 3:15 to Adam and Eve. And there's fulfillment forever. That as Christians, we are always going to be right with God because of what Jesus has done. And as we walk through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John, we're going to see fulfillment after fulfillment after fulfillment. Meaning we're gonna see promises that were promised hundreds of years before Jesus' life, they're gonna happen they're gonna be fulfilled, okay? So that's what this baptism mean. And last point three is a fresh start. So here comes our big chunk of scripture. Y'all ready? Here's a mint. All right, I'm not throwing this mint. Y'all are crazy. I'm not wasting a good mint, golly. All right. Point number three, a fresh start. And this is John 1, 35 through 51. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about when the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, there's a lot of stuff happening in there, isn't there? Yeah, so there's a few things that we need to, we need to pull out of this passage. The first thing 
is that we are all seeking something. John 1, 35 through 39, so the very first couple of verses kind of. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So, I think this is a good time to talk to you guys about how everybody knows the Bible was not originally written in English, right? It ain't like America was not the first country that there ever was. Like that is not true, okay? Like there's, there's long things that happened long before, okay? Like, so let's bring it all back. The Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. And there's a language that the, um, that, that the people around where Jesus was living spoke called Aramaic. That's almost like this, um, similar to how like, I guess in England and places like you would hear it as like proper English, right? And then in America, we speak a, a derivative, a spinoff of that. That's kind of what you see with Aramaic and Hebrew, okay? But the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. And when we look at this passage, in many other passages, do you, any of you guys know in like Spanish or French, there's words that are in that language that you don't have an exact translation for in English, right? And a lot of times that's like that in Hebrew and Greek. And that's why there's so many different translations of the Bible. You see translations that are a little bit closer and maybe some translations that aren't and it's all figuring out, hey, this word could mean this thing, but it could also mean this thing, and it could also mean this and that and the other. So there's a lot of different translations. And when we look at this passage, you see that the, what do you want that Jesus asks in verse 38, in some other translations, and I think it's a little bit closer to the original, says, what do you seek? And when these people hear about Jesus, John announces that there he is, they're trying to figure out what he's up to and the very first thing that, that Jesus has to ask them is what are you seeking? And this is one of the greatest questions that you can ever ask yourself. Because in a dark and broken world, like what we were talking about, the first thing that Jesus wants these people to think about is in this world, what do you wanna get out of it? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking for happiness? Are you looking for friends? Are you looking for money? Are you looking for this or that and the other, right? And so Jesus gets right to business. John calls him the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're like, no way, there he is. What you up to? He's like, well, what are you seeking? What are you looking for in this life? Because if you're looking for light and if you're looking for light, you need to come and you need to follow me. And then we see the disciples say, well, where are you staying? And they call him rabbi, which means teacher. And one of the things that you see about um, in this culture, a rabbi, a rabbi's protégés, his disciples, they did everything that the rabbi did. Even to the point they went to the bathroom at the same time. So you better sync up, get on the right schedule. Okay, this is legit, yes. All right. So they ask, well, where are you staying, rabbi? And this word staying is this Greek word minnow. And what does it mean? It means to stay, it means to abide, to stay fast, to stay where one is. So they respond to Jesus and they say, well, you're asking us, what are we seeking? We wanna know if you're the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, 
Who is it, where is it that you abide? Where do you let keep your heart? And in this world, we need to all realize that whether you like it or you don't, whether you realize it or you don't, you are staying, you are abiding somewhere. And you can either be abiding with God or you can be abiding without him. You could be abiding with friends and forget that the creator of the universe desires to have a relationship with you. You can be abiding in your sports and forget that Jesus is right there. And so I think one of the first things we need to see in this passage is every single one of us are seeking something and ultimate fulfillment is only found in Jesus. And every single one of us allow our hearts to be kept somewhere and ultimate fulfillment is only found in Jesus. So that's the first thing that you need to see. The second thing is, is that he has a plan. So John 1, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. One of the things you're gonna learn about Peter is Peter is boneheaded and stubborn. And Peter messes up a lot. Peter has a lot of breakthroughs. And then Peter, five seconds later, decides he's gonna fall flat on his face again. But the thing that I want us to realize is that God always has a plan and God always sees the the inner parts of the person. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I want you to realize that for every single one of you in this room, God has a plan for your life. And so you, you may feel like you don't amount to something, but what you don't know is that God may see that this is a great leader who has great potential, or this is somebody who people love and would be a wonderful person to share the gospel, or this person has musical abilities that they're constantly putting down, and, and God is like, no, this is an awesome thing to cultivate because I want you to lead my people in worshiping me. And so God always has a plan and God always actually wants more for you than you can even dream of for yourself. And so that's important to recognize that God went ahead, Jesus went ahead and told Peter who he was as soon as they met. Remember that. When you don't feel like anything, recognize that when you are weak, he is strong. And point number three is this. Well, It'll be, yeah, it'll be point number three, that Jesus is better than you can even imagine. He's better than you can even imagine. John 1, says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asks? Come and see, said Philip. So basically what the, the backstory of this is, is Nathaniel and Philip, their brothers are talking, they're talking, and, and, and we know that Jesus was always said to come from Bethlehem, right? And Jesus spent some time in Bethlehem, so he came from Bethlehem. But then, when Philip is like, hey, bro, you need to meet this dude from Nazareth, Nathaniel is like, honey a path? There ain't no way nothing good can come from honey a path. Belton? There ain't no way. That's what he's saying right there. He's like, this little small town? There ain't no way nothing good can ever come from that. And what is Philip's strategy? All he says is just come and see, meet the guy. There is a pizza place that is the greatest pizza place on planet earth. That is, 
All right, let me tell my story before you start blurting out because this, it'll just save you. It'll, it'll, it'll save you from people saying what in the world. There's a place on the golden streets of Pleasantburg called Miles Pizza. It's not spelled Miles with an I, it's spelled Miles with a Y. Why? I don't know, let me tell my story. Golly, all right. And this is what I know. I know that I have tasted and seen that the cheesy bread at Miles is anointed with so much oil yet not soggy. And there is so much cheese that it'll give your doggone belly constipation for three weeks and it still cleans you out. Like Miles is the, it's like the greatest pizza joint ever. And so basically what's happened is one of your wonderful leaders, Matthew, told Jeffrey and I about it. And then he was like, y'all, this is so good. And Jeffrey and I were like, this is too good to be true. There is no way this is that good. And he took us there. And then we tasted Miles. And all of a sudden we were like, y'all, Miles is the greatest thing that has ever happened. And have y'all ever been like, somebody hypes up something to you and then you, you have that thing and it's like, oh, that was whatever. It wasn't worth the hype. And then they try and make excuses. They're like, oh, well, it's different this time. Or, oh, well, we, we went at the wrong time or whatever, right? Miles has never been that way. And so what happened? After Jeffrey and I got a taste of Miles, we then were telling everybody else about Miles. So now Coach is telling people about Miles, Brittany telling people about Miles, Ellie telling people about Miles. It's a thing. What am I trying to say? That one of the greatest ways that you can share the love of Jesus is after being radically transformed by the love of Jesus. Just lead people to it. You don't believe me? Just try it out. Just try it out. I dare you. I just dare you. Because the thing is, is that Jesus has transformed my life. I can go to sleep and have peace. When I feel down and I feel low and I feel like a nobody, I know that there is a God who loves me more than anything. I know that there is a God who is infinitely big enough to create this earth and everything in it and all the galaxies in the universe, yet still knows the number of hairs on my head. I know there is a God who is never too busy for me. Just try him out. And this is what I want you guys to understand. It is never your responsibility to change somebody's heart. But as a people, we are commanded to share the love of Jesus with others. And how can you do that? Well, it starts with you. It starts with you recognizing that this thing is legit and opening your heart to receive. And I promise you that as your life is radically transformed, the most reasonable the, just the thing that is gonna come most naturally is gonna be to share that with other people. It's gonna be tough. You're gonna be convicted about it. You're gonna be scared about it. But I promise you, as your life has changed, one of the greatest ways that you can evangelize to other people is just, hey, I dare you, just try it out. Just try it out. And this is what we see here. Nathaniel is like, can anything good come from this little town, Nazareth? 
And Philip is like, just, just come and see, just meet the guy. You have friends who are like, is this Jesus thing legit? Just try it out, I promise you. I'll, I'll read a book of the Bible with you. Just try it out. That's one of the greatest ways that you can share the gospel. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.